for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. All right, decent week we got coming up here. Decent topics for the podcast, the Jackrabbits and Bison just under three weeks away from their national championship showdown in Frisco, right? <laughs> right? Uh, after the Jacks took care of business and the Bison fooled around for a while and then finally knocked out Eastern Washington. And so we have another FCS football game to preview. Cade Johnson, the former Jackrabbit, might get drafted. Zim had an extensive interview with him that we'll get to. Plus, Trey Lance, I mean, where's he going to go? And does he project, how can we project him to be a bona fide NFL quarterback right out of the shoot like Carson Wentz was? And the Vikings, do we even give a shit? Plus, uh, the uh, Oscars are tonight. I know you're prepping for that, right? This is why you wanted to do it on Sunday. You want to get the podcast out of the way so you can watch the Oscars, right? Uh, is Bill and Ted 3 up for Best Picture? <laughs> because I think that's the only new movie I saw in 2020. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did, you, uh, did you even see Palm Springs with uh, Andy, Andy Sandberg? Actually, the, yes, I did. The Modern Day that- Groundhog Day? I thought that was pretty damn good. I love that. That yeah. was very good. That yes. isn't up for anything, is it? What's that? That I, isn't nominated. It should is it? be. It really should be. It I was, thought it was fantastic. Yeah, it really did. Very cleverly written, and uh, I mean, it's hard to do. It's hard to redo something that's been done so well and is such an iconic flick like Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, but uh, they pulled it off. Um, so. We probably won't talk Oscars, but we are recording it on a Sunday just ahead of them. Uh, So I'm uh, sitting out on the deck and uh, brought out the deck furniture, the table and chairs for the first time, dug them out of the garage, figured, okay, it's like 45 and it's 45. I was going to say, what is it, 20 degrees warmer in Lenox than it is here? No, no, I just just got tired of looking out at the deck and not seeing the... I I just had it in my mind today, damn it, Uh, because it was a nice day yesterday on a Saturday. It was like 60 or 65 degrees. Uh, it's by the way, it's going to be really warm this week. I mean, spring's starting to kick in. May's right around the corner, and uh, I just said yes. There's about a 35 mile an hour wind, and it's about 45 degrees. But fuck it, I am going to uh, sit on the deck today, listen to the twins, and try to do nothing and uh, put on enough layers of clothes to pretend like so I'm it's at your a fault spa. They shit the bed again. Uh, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, because I haven't been. I, frankly, I mean, I haven't been really watching or listening to them much this year. I've been. They've You're had a not lot of, missing much. I know. Oh, I've been I've been busy at my own baseball day job with the Canaries. Season starting May 18th. It's going to be fabulous at the park. We may get to that, but that's kind of the running thing right now. We're probably not going to get to that. And uh, I don't get the Twins. I have Hulu, so uh, there's some sort of you know just bullshit going on with Major League Baseball and the uh, viewing package for streaming services like Hulu. So I can't even see them anyway. But today I was just kind of like, this is a nice, okay, it's really not that nice of a day, but I'm going to make it a nice day to sit on the deck and listen to the twins and uh, pull out the uh, the deck furniture from the garage while I do so. And yeah, it was, uh, well, it was probably more enjoyable to sit outside and pretend it was nice than it was to sit there and watch it on TV. So we'll, we're going to get the Twins out of the way right now, Zim. They lose to the Pirates 6-2. to two. Uh, They scored two runs in each of the three games against the Pirates. Uh, if they would have won this series, which they lost two out of three, it would have been their first home series win at Target Field so far this year. What an accomplishment that would have been against the Pirates, who are pretty much the best AAA baseball team on the planet. Uh, <laughs> this is pathetic, man. Uh, what's, what's going on? Well, I, it's starting to get to the point where you know, they looked so good in the first week of the season. They were 5-2 and two and easily could have won the couple games they lost. You kind of saw everything you thought that was going to make this team good. The offense, the starting pitching, the relief pitching. It just was like, okay, this is going to be a good team. And then I don't know if it was, you know, that that Seattle game where they had a 6 nothing lead and lost was really like, oh, geez, how does that happen? And it just kind of felt like, well, God, that really sucks. You shouldn't ever lose a game where you're ahead by six runs. And you just kind of thought, well, that sucks. And it seems like ever since then, it's just, it's kind of snowballed or it's been worse or whatever. But, but, but the greater concern to me is it no longer feels like this is a good team that's slumping. Um, it's starting to feel like maybe this just isn't a very good team. 
And on one level, that doesn't really make a lot of sense because the roster as it's constructed, just, you know, this is not the roster of a 90 loss team or even a 500 team. You know, this is a roster of a team that should be able to not necessarily even play all that well and still win 90 games. That's basically what they did last year in the truncated season. You know, they went 36 and 24, which is about a 90 something win pace. But they, you know, a lot of guys didn't have nearly the kind of season they did in 2019, the whole Bomba squad thing. You know, Josh Donaldson was hurt for half the, you know, barely played and wasn't there in the playoffs. And they still found a way to win the division. So you kind of figured this year, okay, if guys just sort of return to form or whatever, you know, they'll be fine. And that's obviously not happening. But then you kind of look at why they're struggling right now. They've got three guys who can play. Josh Donaldson, Nelson Cruz, and uh, Byron Buxton. And Buxton's been electric. He'd be an MVP candidate if the Twins could win any games. Uh, Nelson Cruz, at 40 years old, in his third year as the old-timer now, continues to rake. And Josh Donaldson, you know, knock on wood, finally looks to be healthy after taking that 10 days off early in the season. He's playing very, very well. Uh, everyone else is not. And what's frustrating about that is it's, that's the young core that they're supposed to be building around. You know, Nelson Cruz is going to – he's only got – so much time left. He's not going to be able to do this forever. Josh Donaldson's what, like 35, 36, something like that. I mean, he's an older guy too. Um, Miguel Sano, Jorge Polanco, Max Kepler, Mitch Garver, you know, that's supposed to be sort of the young core that this team is building around. And those guys are awful. They're not contributing anything. And, you know, it was one thing for them to not play great last year in the short season. And, you know, a guy like Miguel Sano, okay, he struck out a ton last year and had a low batting average, but he was still hitting home runs. And, you know, uh, Jorge Polanco didn't have the same numbers, but he was still contributing here and there. And, you know, Mitch Garver was hurt all last year. You kind of figured, okay, he gets healthy, he'll contribute. But these guys just all of a sudden look like they can't play. Um, and, you know, Kepler, Polanco, Sano, those guys are signed to multi-year contracts. Uh, it's not prohibitively expensive contracts. It's not like they've invested 200 million in those guys, but you know, these are guys, they kind of said, okay, we want to build the team around you and they're not doing it. And it's kind of making me wonder, like, is it maybe time to think about, I mean, it's too early right now. We're still in April. Um, but if they don't get this turned around pretty quick, I think you have to consider blowing it up and starting over. Mm. Uh, because, Whoa. because like I said, Nelson Cruz is 40 years old. Uh, Josh Donaldson, the most expensive player in the team, and granted, he's when he's healthy, is playing fantastic, but he's not going to be around forever. This contract is probably going to be it for him, at least in a Twins uniform. Um, you had to, you have to think about: Are you going to sign guys like Byron Buxton, Jose Barrios to long-term contracts? Um, if everyone around them stinks and they're not going to be able to compete for a few years, that might not be the best idea. It might be a good time to trade a Byron Buxton or a Jose Barrios, especially since Buxton obviously is going to be a risk for health reasons. Uh, if, if Kepler, Garver, Polanco, those guys, um, if their best days are already behind them, if the twins made a mistake in signing those guys to long, long-term contracts, then this core that they're building around, like I said, the best players are the old guys. So it's going to, it's going to run its course here pretty soon. And the, the one saving grace is the twins minor league system uh, is, is in great shape. Uh, they've got a ton of really good prospects, both pitching and offensively. Uh, that maybe aren't ready right away, but in the, there's no reason to think that it would have to be like a, you know, a five-year rebuild, like the cupboard is empty, so to speak. But I just kind of think if they don't start turning around here pretty soon, if guys like Polanco and Kepler don't start hitting, at some point you have to say they're not going to hit. You know, like they would have done it by now. They've, their best years are behind them, whatever. And think about, you know, moving some of those guys and waiting until the next wave of prospects is ready uh, to make another sort of push for actual, you know, playoff success. Wow. I mean, part of me wants to go, wow, it's uh, we're 20 games in, Zim. Pump the brakes. It's, it's too early. But, it's absolutely yeah, too early. But, but if no. 50, 60 games in, yeah. you know, if they're 20 and 30 or something like that, and all those guys I just mentioned are still hitting below 200, you know, how much longer do you keep waiting for those guys to turn it around before you go, maybe they're just not that good. Right. Well, and, and to your point, to, to look at players like Sano, who's now back on the injured list for another 10 days starting on yesterday, Saturday. We're recording this on a Sunday. I suspect he's not even hurt. He's just been so shitty that yeah. they need to give him a, you know. No doubt. And they put Karoloff in there for him, and Karoloff is 0 for 14 and was 0 for 4 today on, on the 6-2 loss to the Pirates. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I mean, Sano's been struggling with strikeouts his whole career, 
and it, he's been more bust than boom for three years. Polanco's best year, I think he was an all-star in 2019, or was it 2018? Mm-hmm. Correct. And then he had the miss. Didn't he? He missed last year. I mean, he was going to be suspended for 81 games. No, no, that, that was before. That was long before that. He, his suspension was a while ago. Was he? Uh, he was. He was the starting shortstop in the All Star game in 2019. So was he popped um, before that? Yeah. yeah oh, that's, okay. That's, that's behind him. All right. Uh, but, but he hasn't but been... after he started the 2019 season on fire. Was the starting shortstop in the All Star game. Yeah. But then wasn't nearly the same player the second half of the season, and that carried over into 2020. That's terrible. And that's carried over into this year. I yeah. Mean, he hasn't really been good since the first half of 2019 and neither is max kepler i mean he so same yeah so i mean to your point these guys are not the the the, it's been a long time since we've been waiting for them to come back to that form for a while and it just might never happen twins are seven and 13 they're last in the al central six games behind the royals of all teams and uh by the way i heard this today Twins are five and one this year when scoring four runs or more. Well, that's good. The problem is that's six times out of twenty they have scored four runs or more. Fourteen times they haven't, and they're two and twelve in those games. That's just pathetic. And again, against the Pirates, I don't know much about Pirates pitching, but that two runs each game at home against the fucking Pirates. Are you today? The Twins didn't get a hit third, fourth, fifth, sixth innings. They went four straight innings without a base hit. Um, and, uh, again, you just broke down kind of why, because all those guys that have been carrying the Twins bats, especially the 2019 Bomba squad, some of them aren't playing, and some of them just aren't anywhere near where they were at that time. I guess there's good news that Simmons will be back in Cleveland when the Twins go there starting on Tuesday. They go there tomorrow. They start the series on Tuesday. Uh, that's nice. Nice to know the uh, sensation will be back at shortstop. Did he get a shot? That's what I want to know. They they were they were telling me on the radio today. Hey, he's going to be back. Did he get a shot? Has he learned his lesson? Um, I highly doubt it. I, I doubt it either. Just he's probably immune for the next few months anyway. Yeah. So. Well, just 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 play well. Just just provide something. Uh, another funny thing I heard, and I did find this funny. Dazzle Gladden, Dan Gladden. Again, I'm listening on the radio today. By the way, uh, I'm a few drinks in. I'm not going to lie on this podcast. Usually I'm like just had just when we tape this, it's usually five or six o'clock on a Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm drinking a Cano Bliss IPA. And uh, but I, I didn't know we were going to do this until about <laughs> what was it? Three that you reached out to me. And uh, wanted to do it today, and I'm like, oh great, yeah. I had uh, I had a double Tito's crayon for lunch and uh, <laughs> a couple IPAs. Sure, I'm in perfect condition to do this. Uh, but it did lend to <laughs> some humorous baseball listening out on the deck, and I I found it hilarious when Dan Gladden said, well. Part of these early season batting issues for these twins. I mean, they've had a lot of these games at home or in Detroit, and you know, it's just really cold weather. It takes a while to get these bats going. And I'm thinking, well, geez, it really hasn't been that hard for the teams the twins are playing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hasn't been that hard for the Kansas City Royals. Do you buy any of that? Not really, no. Um, I mean, I don't know if there's any connection, but the twins' offense has – significantly struggled since James Rousen was no longer their hitting coach. Uh, mm. I've always, I've always wondered how much influence a hitting coach really has in baseball. Um, but it, it, you know, the, the facts are there just when he was there, they were better than they've been since he left. Um, I'm sure the weather's part of it. Injuries have been a part of it. COVID has been a part of it. Um, but I just, you know, like I said, it, it looking back to how optimistic I was when the season started. Now I kind of look at it and go, well, you know, is it really that much of a surprise that Kepler and Polanco and Garver are not hitting? Because again, none of them hit last year. You know, like I, I guess we all just sort of told ourselves, well, you know, it was a 60 game season. It was COVID, you know, it was a weird year. And, and certainly if they were all hitting right now, that's what you'd say. Like, yeah, last year was a goofy year. It's kind of, you don't, you know, judge anyone ever, whatever. But now that they're not hitting and the team is kind of continuing some of the same worry some trends that you saw from last year it's a little easier to say like yeah okay last year there was only 60 games but in those 60 games we got a sort of snapshot of what they would have been over the course of 162 games because again guys like polanco kepler kepler in particular he had the great season in 2019 where he hit 36 home runs and i think his batting average was at least like 250 or something but most of his career he's been a 220 hitter 
You know, that's mm-hmm. that's just kind of the player. Yeah, he's got some power and he's a good outfielder. Um, but he's had one good year out of like five. Polanco's had two half good years. Um, and, you know, they moved him off a of shortstop to second base, which makes him a better defensive team. But then Simmons gets COVID. And then, you know, then Blanco's got to go back to short. And Arias moves around. It just, you know, I will say in defense of the team and in defense of Rocco, who obviously Rocco has drove me absolutely nuts. I commend you for going 15 minutes until you mentioned him this time. Right, right. Um, everything that could go wrong has. There's been a lot of bad breaks. I, I, and I mentioned this on our last podcast, like, yeah, Rocco's made a lot of dumb decisions, but he's also made a lot of perfectly defense or perfectly defensible decisions, uh, no-brainer type decisions that also backfired. And it seems like you know everything he touches sort of blows up, and uh, that's just sort of unfortunate. And it was nice to hear after. It's funny we did that podcast last week before probably the worst Twins game I've seen in the last ten years <laughs> yes. when they blew that extra inning game in Oakland. <laughs> it was nice after that game to finally hear Rocco kind of acknowledge, like, yeah, this is bad. Um, you know, he, he called out the infielders. He's like, all we needed to do to win that game was make one out of two little league plays in the last inning. And we couldn't even make one of them. Uh, and then also he took responsibility. He said, yeah, you know, I'd put this on me. I got to take responsibility. The, the, you know, moves I'm making, whatever aren't working. I was glad to hear that. It was nice to kind of finally, I get it that it's a manager's job as they always say, you know, don't get too high when things are going well and don't get too low when things are going poor. But it's kind of reached a point now where it's like, what's going on here? You know, this team is really playing badly. And the fact that he kind of acknowledged that I think is a good thing, but there's only so much he can do. You know, some of these guys, it's not Rocco's fault that Max Kepler can't get a hit, that Mitch Garver can't get a hit, that uh, Alex Colomay, the closer who had a zero-something ERA last year for the White Sox, all of a sudden can't get anybody out. I mean, it's just, like I said, everything that's gone wrong pretty much that could go wrong has and it's been uh you know i i was i kind of vowed to not watch them and then the other night jay Happ had a no hitter going into the seventh i was like god damn it now i have to turn this shit on <laughs> <laughs> i mean i actually kind of thought like not only is he gonna blow the no hitter they're gonna lose the game and uh, i'm gonna regret turning it on so it was nice that even though he lost the no hitter they at least won but otherwise uh yeah, I, I watched about two innings today and as soon as they oh, fell wow. behind i was like why am i doing this to myself again <laughs> Yeah, I just uh, I, I frankly just listened today because I hadn't really watched or listened to them much this year. I've been keeping up. I can keep up and talk talk about them during these podcasts and turn it over to you and bounce off of you. But but today I actually listened mainly because again beer deck re- relaxation um, and it was it was a two to one game against these pirates heading into the seventh and. Speaking of interesting Rocco decisions, good or bad, I don't know. I found it interesting today involving the former Jack Rabbit and the current Augustana pitching coach, Caleb Thielbar, who was one of those twins who got COVID and didn't play for a while. He hadn't pitched in nine days. He came in with the twins having already given up a run to the Pirates in the top of the seven. That was Stashek, who, could, who couldn't even last an inning. And so it was Theobar that comes in there down three to one with players on, I believe first and third. Yep. And he promptly gave up a couple more runs and that was about it. That was game over. And the twins had no firepower as we've mentioned. So I don't know, having not pitched for nine days, I get Caleb Theobar is going to inherit some intense situations as part of his gig as a reliever, but not having pitched for nine days. I don't know if this was the best one. You know, well, the, the, was, the floodgates starting to open, and it's a couple guys on base. Bringing in Stashak first was probably the the worst move of the two, if you ask me. But because okay. he's been terrible. But anyway, let's talk about football. That's a good idea. I'm out of my notes anyway. I'm done with the Twins. Uh, so you covered the Jacks. Had to feel good. Uh, your second game you've covered in Brookings this year, and it was a nice day, 31-3. to uh, They they do what we expected them to do against Holy Cross. It was it was businesslike, as John Stiegelmeyer said on his post-game show, which I happened to catch. Uh, sounds pretty boring to me, uh, eight and a half yards per carry. Uh, they just, you know, they, they hammered away, and Holy Cross never crossed the 20-yard line. So, I mean, we can we can leapfrog a lot about yesterday unless there's there's anything more to cover there. They're going to play a Southern Illinois team. They they just throttled 44-3 to back on March 23rd. 
So this is this is what I have for you off of all this. 439 to 198 in total yards. Uh, yeah, Holy Cross had the second best FCS rush defense, but as you wrote, who did they play? They only played three games. Right. Um, and SDSU went for 281 on the ground. Great. So I, you've mentioned they haven't really had to use a an effective passing game, these Jackrabbits, with their freshman quarterback, Mark Ronowski. He did have three touchdown passes yesterday. But here's your question. Is this team built to come from behind and pass down the field if they have to, since they're not used to being in that situation and haven't really needed to anyway? Uh, I mean, no, they're not. I wouldn't say they're built to do that. If they find themselves in that scenario, it's going to be a little tense. But, you know, I don't think they're incapable. They're certainly not. Um, like the team they played on Saturday, Holy Cross. Uh, Holy Cross, actually, there were a couple times in the game where they had some receivers wide open in downfield, potentially in the end zone. Could have been a different game if their quarterback could throw at all, and he couldn't. Um, the Jacks are not in that situation. You saw the deep ball, the 45-yard touchdown pass to Jaden Yankee. That's as good a throw as you'll see. And yeah. Kronofsky has made several throws like that this year. He's missed a few, too. I mean, he has not by any means been perfect. Um, he's still, I think, right now a better runner than a passer, uh, but he's got the ability. And the Yankee Twins, I think, um, have been really clutch this season in establishing that, okay, no more Kay Johnson, but there are still guys who can go deep. Uh, if the Yankee Twins could just uh, get a little bit better at valuing the football, both of those guys uh, have been a little too prone to either fumbling, dropping passes, or uh, they both have been involved in the return game and had fumble problems too. That's the only thing holding those two back from being like first team all conference type of dudes. They're really good. And I wasn't sure if they could be coming out of Madison High School. You know, we all knew they were talented. We all knew they, you know, belonged on that roster. But it was like, can they be the guys? Well, they've proven this year they can. They just need to get a little bit sharper taking care of the ball. Once they do, I think you you pair those guys with the tight ends that they have and also how successful the Jacks have been throwing the ball to their running backs. They have the ability uh, to, to be a, a, an offense that can throw the ball for 200, 300 yards in a game. Uh, they just don't want to be in that scenario if they don't have to, and so far they haven't because obviously the running game, Pierre Strong, you know, week after week, opposing coaches call him the best running back in the nation. Right now, I don't even know if he's the best running back on his team. I mean, Isaiah Davis has been unreal the last couple games, and uh, putting those two together on the field, which Jason X doing a great job of finding ways to get them both involved, whether it's one of them at a time, putting them both on the field at the same time, using them in the passing game. That's just opened up a whole nother thing for defenses to worry about. You've got essentially a three-headed monster in your ground game because Gronowski has three 100-yard rushing games this year. They didn't need him uh, on Saturday to run the ball, but you got three guys like that that are all capable of running for 100 yards in a game. And then, again, a passing game that hasn't been a huge part of it but is very capable uh, and, then, and then, again, you just pair it with a defense that's been very, very sound. And that's why I think most people look at this and say, just from a, a personnel standpoint, uh, the Jacks are the best team in the FCS right now. He's Matt Zimmer. I'm John Gaskins. He covers the Jacks for a living for the Argus leaders. Nobody's listening anyway. And you mentioned Isaiah Davis, 156 yards. 60 of those on the touchdown that was the knockout punch in the fourth quarter provided the final score, 31-3 to over Holy Cross. And now you move on to a higher caliber opponent in Southern Illinois. Again, the Jacks, the number one seed in the FCS playoffs. They get home games through the semifinals. That's two more of them, but they got to get past the Salukis, who... We're the only team to beat North Dakota State until the Jacks did it last week, and yet SDSU won at their place. Was that at their place? 44-3? Yep. Yeah, yep. it was. My God. Um, and they had a thriller to beat Weber State on the road. So, I mean, hey, that was over a month ago, so who knows? But it was uh, 3-0 SIU after one, and then the Jacks scored 41 on – well, the last 44 points of the game, but 17 in the second. So 17 to three at half, then 24 more in the third. So what do you remember about that game? How much do you take that game into account? What's SIU's bread and butter? How do you see this matchup? Um, well, I mean, you look at that score and it's tempting to just go, oh, well, geez, the Jacks beat this team 44 to three. Obviously they'll beat them handily here in the playoffs. But I was thinking about it before Saturday. Look, you know, knowing obviously the Jacks were going to beat Holy Cross and saying, okay, who would you rather play in that second-round game? If I'm a Jacks fan, who am I rooting for there? And, you know, Weber State was undefeated 
I don't think the Jacks have ever played Weber State. If they have, it was a long, 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 long time ago. And Weber State's been a pretty good FCS team for the last few years. They've kind of moved into that, not quite that upper tier, but kind of on the periphery. You know, they've, they've been pretty good. And uh, they're, they were 5-0. and oh, And I just thought, I don't know if I would want to play them, you know, because it seems like sometimes that's just the sort of game that maybe the Jacks don't handle well. You know, someone they have never played before, someone that comes in undefeated and, you know, has some confidence, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Even though I have read a lot, from people that follow Weber State more closely than I do that says, yeah, Big Sky isn't that good this year. Weber State's not that good. They haven't played as many good teams, whatever. Um, I thought they would win. The fact that Southern Illinois won uh, speaks to that, yeah, maybe the Big Sky and Weber State were overrated. Uh, The Valley is that good. Um, But I don't know if that's a good thing for the Jacks that they get to play. Yeah, they beat them 44-3, and that gives the Jacks a ton of confidence, but maybe it gives them too much. You know, obviously Southern Illinois is going to be highly motivated to come in here after that game because that was clearly embarrassing to them. Um, they were really riding high at that time. I think they had moved, they had definitely moved into the top ten of the rankings, maybe even the top five. I can't remember what it was. I know one of their players had given a quote to like the newspaper in Illinois or whatever, saying that uh, you know they beat North Dakota State and then I think they beat Northern Iowa or some other good team, and so they were talking about how they were mounting all these fish on their wall all these big fish on their wall and that they were going to look into looking forward to hanging another big fish on their wall when they played the jacks and that kind of caught on with sdsu's players i don't know if you saw or heard it but a couple players in that game uh pantomimed reeling in a big fish after a big play Mm. kind of rub it in southern illinois face which i am totally here for that kind of stuff i absolutely love that yeah um but so it, it, it just kind of, you know, you wonder that, that obviously played into the Jacks' hands that day. But also, I think anyone who watched that game on either side would tell you basically everything that could have gone right for the Jacks that day did. And everything that could have gone wrong that day for Southern Illinois did. Um, that doesn't mean that the Jacks aren't the better team. I think they definitely are. Um, but to think that they're like 41 points better than them and that this game Saturday, Sunday, as it turns out, uh, is going to be a walk in the park, that would be a mistake. Uh, and I think there are reasons to, as a Jacks fan, look at this game and go, you know, this makes me a little nervous. The fact that they wipe the floor so completely with what is, you know, objectively a good football team. Uh, I think that gives you some reason to be a little nervous. Well, you look at the yards in that game, 462 to 213. I mean, utter domination. I don't have to go through all the stats. 26 to 11 in first downs, 36 and a half minutes to 23 and a half minutes in time of possession. And uh, move into the fact that this is on a Sunday. All the quarterfinal games, all four of them for FCS football, will be on ESPN2. What was the remark you made on Twitter today? Again, we're recording on Sunday about the uh, about what this means incorrect. for attendance. Just, that's incorrect, by the way, what you just said. Uh, what I say? Bison are, the Bison are on ESPN proper, or the, the mothership, whatever. Okay, all four games uh, are on Sunday. Sorry about that. Yeah, okay. and two of them are on ESPN2. And then I think... The Jacksonville State game is on ESPN three, which oh. obviously means online only. But anyway, yes, they're all four on Sunday. I think basically just to avoid conflicting with the NFL draft because that's wrapping up on Saturday. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah um, I'm in favor of it. The comment I made today on Twitter, and it was funny, a bunch of Jacks fans took it like personal, like I was ripping on them. I wasn't. I was just saying like, yeah, it looks like given the fact that the Jacks attendance has not been great again this past Saturday, I still haven't quite figured out how you know they announced like on Tuesday. That, oh, it's sold out 25%. Well, 25% of 19,000 is, I suck at math, but it's what, like 4,500 or yeah, something? I don't sounds know. sounds right. And then they announced the attendance at 2,996. Right. I saw that. So I don't know what the hell they're doing. Like, don't tell everyone the tickets are sold out if they're not. But anyway, they're allowing 50% attendance this week. But now you have the game on a Sunday night at 8 o'clock. And I just made the comment that, Seems like most of the Jacks fans didn't even find out about this till Sunday morning, since they apparently all go to bed at ten o'clock on Saturday night. Uh, I don't think that's a good recipe for a big crowd being there. So, I think it's cool. No. I like I like the idea of a Sunday night primetime game. It's going to be on national television under the lights. I'm stoked, even though I'm not going to get home till two in the morning that night by the time the press conference and all that shit is done. But it's like um, you have a nine to five job to go to the next day. Yeah, but I mean, it it's. I think it's fun. I think it's cool, but there's not. It's the crowd is going to be bad. 
Yeah, currently the forecast, and this is currently, I, I never love to look at weather forecasts more than one or two days ahead of time. They change constantly, but right. it's going to be warm all week, and in Brookings on Sunday, as of now, basically exactly a week before this game kicks off, uh, 72 for the high that day, sunny, not much wind, relatively, and uh, around 8 p.m. it'll be 62 degrees. So, if, I mean, that's that's the case. That's great, but yeah, it's, that's the, the, that's... Uh, with the exception of the weather, which is always a major factor in attendance, uh, that's the the time of the game and the fact that it is on easily accessible TV, uh, you know, basic cable, is not a great recipe for attendance. But who knows? And who knows how much I'll be surprised. That makes. If, I'll be surprised if they get three thousand. Mm. I don't uh, think they will. Well, how were the three thousand on Saturday? I mean, again, this sounded like it was kind of a boring game. Was it? Uh, it was a very boring game, and yeah. I don't really mean that in a bad way. Like the Jacks we're very smart to kind of like, let's not exert ourselves any more than we have to. Um, they sure. played pretty, pretty conservatively. I thought, and just, you said it yourself. It was an extremely businesslike win. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of a boring game, but they got in, they got out, they got their win. Um, I guess it's a little harder to notice the crowd from the Dana J. Dykehouse stadium press box because the press box doesn't have any open air windows. Yeah, it's way so, up there. So you, you can't really hear the crowd very well. Mm. Uh, that's one, the only thing I don't like about uh, Dana J. Deckhouse Stadium. One of the coolest things that Augustana did with Kirk of the Over is they have those little, you've been in there, mm-hmm. you can pop, pop open those little tiny like screens on the front press box window uh, so you can hear the ambience of the, the crowd, the stadium. Uh, I wish the Dana had that because it'd be nice, especially on days when it's when the weather's nice enough that it's not cold. You can pop that open and and hear, you know, everything that's going on in the actual stadium. Sure. Uh, but it seemed like you know the the players and coaches and granted they're always going to sort of provide lip service. They all said, yeah, the fans were great and it was good to be home and have a home crowd atmosphere. I didn't think it was terrible by any means. It it didn't feel like oh my god, you know nobody's here because again over the last couple of years. The Jacks have sadly gotten kind of used to playing in front of not great crowds. This one obviously is much smaller than normal, but it wasn't like, oh my God, there's nobody here. I thought there were more than 3,000 people there. Maybe they screwed up in counting it or something. I don't know. Because again, they said it was sold out, which would be 4,500 or whatever, 25% of 19,000, whatever the number is. But, um, you know, it's, you know, we saw the same thing. Uh, the, The Fargo Dome, uh, the week before for the Dakota Marker game, they had like 8,000 or whatever. They only had 3,000 on Saturday for their mm. game against Eastern Washington. Mm. For the Bison to only get 3,000, I was really surprised to see yeah, that. That's so, a, yeah, those those people show up to watch football. Uh, they'll watch an Interscribed scrimmage. If they played Bismarck yeah. High, they you know they want to come and make an event yeah, of so it. So it's kind of happening all over, and I, I'm honestly like trying not to waste too much time talking about or worrying about crowds and attendance because with covid with the season being in the spring with everything being weird i I just kind of think it's silly to spend too much time dwelling on it interestingly the bison have to go to number two sam houston uh for their uh afternoon game on sunday right two o'clock they're all on sunday yeah yeah that's the one that's on espn ESPN. And I guess that that's what I would put on ESPN as well. When I first heard you say, hey, Jacks are on ESPN2, Bison, who aren't even one of the the top four seeds, uh-huh. are on ESPN. I wonder if there are any Jack fans that were uh, noisy about that anywhere. Nah, they shouldn't I be. They I mean, NDSU's, I the, bra- it, yeah. NDSU's yeah. the brand, and they go on the road, so this could be a competitive game, and uh, that all makes sense. I think they're going to absolutely annihilate Sam Houston wow. State. Okay. I could be wrong, but I think they're going to roll them. And uh, I I have no idea about Sam Houston, so but but the the committee gave these conference winners the you know the the seeds. Uh, so that Sam Houston State beat Monmouth twenty one to fifteen, <laughs> the two seed. Okay. The Jacks beat Eastern Washington forty two to twenty after trailing twenty to seven. Yeah, you know they scored the last whatever thirty five points in a row. We might have uh, the oh, go ahead. Third, third seed James Madison, whose coach was all, "Well, thanks for the motivation. We're pissed off." Or they beat unseeded VMI thirty one to twenty four. Yeah, uh, the only other seeded team. Uh, to actually like Jacksonville state beat Davidson, I think 49 to 14 or 42 to 14. A lot of the teams that were squawking about, Oh, how come the Valley, this, then the other, uh, didn't play all that well while the Valley went four and one. And the one loss was to another Valley team. So we have Jacksonville state in Delaware, 
the other, that's the opposite. Uh, that's on the same side of the bracket as South Dakota State, Southern Illinois. So the Jacks, if they win, play Delaware and Jacksonville State's winner at Dana J. Dykehouse in the semis next week. We potentially have, if UND can upset James Madison, a uh, Fighting Sioux, well, sorry, Fighting Hawks versus Bison game in, where would that be? I don't know. Neither of them are seeds. I would think it'd be in Fargo. Yeah, I think I it's think- in Fargo. That's a great question. For the semifinals. I don't, know, I don't know how they would settle that. Well, I mean, UND finished uh, ahead of the Bison in the standings because they only have one loss. Mm. I think it would be in Grand Forks. Mm. Okay. Um, but the Bison did beat North Dakota head to head. But every everything I've read has said that this game on Saturday, just two day, yesterday, yeah. uh, was the last home game of the year for for the Bison, and obviously the people who said that knew there was a very good chance that hmm. North Dakota would beat James Madison. I think it would be in far, or, uh, Grand Forks. Interesting. Well, that's something to look forward to. Again, this weekend's games, as Zim and I have mentioned it, all the games are on Sunday. And great place to go. Catch them all. Catch the Bison at 2. Catch the Jacks later on. Gateway Lounge, West 41st Street in Sioux Falls, just off the I-29 exit right there. You cannot miss it. And... Uh, It's a great Jack's gathering place. Hell, we've got some Bison fans in town. It's a great Bison gathering place with 30-plus TVs, a movie theater-like setting, and friendly staff, awesome food. I hate to call it bar food because it's better than bar food, the pizza, the wings. Zim likes the beef chislick. By the way, What's uh? Do you mind mentioning what's what's your kind of your metric or your kind of tipping point for when we will get back together again? For these podcasts? Um, I got my second shot coming up. I think after that, we're probably good. All right. Good deal. I got my shots coming up. In fact, uh, I will I will slip in a plug for the Sioux Falls Canaries. I'm, I'm, I'm fine saying this on Sunday, even though we haven't announced it publicly. Our opening night, May 18th, Tuesday, May 18th, will be opening shots night. So we will have free admission into anyone who can present their vaccine card. And uh, we are also going to give anybody in there an opportunity to uh, make a basketball shot, win a free pizza from Sonny's Pizzeria right over there by USF and Augustana on 26th Street. And uh, as of the recording of this podcast on Sunday afternoon, we are awaiting back if we're going to be able to actually have the ability and capability to administer, not the Canary staff, but somebody from, <laughs> from you know, uh, who's uh, certified to do it in the healthcare uh-huh. field to uh, uh, give people an opportunity to get their shots, their vaccinations right there at the birdcage. So that's how we will open the season on May 18th. But yeah, we're looking forward to getting back to the gateway when we can. Let's stay with the Bison, though, uh, with the NFL draft coming up this week. And uh, I've never had less interest in it, frankly. And I I can't exactly tell you why, but there's plenty of interest for those who are Jacks, Yotes, Bison, FCS, uh, Valley football fans, because Trey Lance, I can't, Carson Wentz went number two overall, right? And I think so. Um, Number three, I think it was two. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, this this might not be the highest anybody from the FCS or from the Dakotas has ever gone in the NFL draft because that's hard to beat. But I mean, he'd be he'd be the second guy from that school in the last five six years to go in the top five because it, it's potential. Different drafts have him somewhere in the top ten, maybe to the Broncos, maybe as high as three to the Niners. Um, and of course there's plenty of discussions on how ready he is for the NFL. We've had our own. We had it back in the fall when he did not play. Of course, well, well the buys only, well, he, no, actually did he, he played one game basically as a kind of an exhibition for the NFL scouts when the Bison played last fall. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So again, there hasn't been much to, besides pro days, including a second one back on Monday, April 19th, this past Monday, to give you a real good idea of how he's going to translate into the into the NFL. So, A, do you think he's a guy that's worth taking? Well, yeah, that's no, just A. Here's the question. Is he a guy worth taking a flyer on as a top 10 pick? You don't take a flyer on a top 10 pick. You know what I mean. I mean, is a top worth- 10 pick is, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I've said this a couple times. Like, the fact that he's so, there seems to be a pretty strong consensus that he's worthy of being a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. If you're a quarterback that is worthy of being taken in the first round you're a quarterback worthy and there's really not much more to say than that if everyone agrees that that's how good you are i just have said repeatedly and i'll say it again i have 
nothing against Trey Lance. There, I have not seen something that I'm like, oh, this gives me pause or whatever. Like, I've seen the guy play twice. You know, I'm not pretending to know anything about him. I just, as a fan of any team that was would be thinking about taking him, would be really hesitant because it's like, this guy hasn't played hardly any football above the high school level. You know, he redshirted as a true freshman. I think he got into one or two games because of that new rule now that you can play up to four games and still redshirt. He saw a little bit of action that year. It was all garbage time. Then he has his redshirt freshman year, leads the Bison to 15-0, and national champion, goes the whole year without throwing an interception, which is amazing. Um, but the game the Jacks played against him, like I felt like he was incidental to that win almost. I mean, it's, you know, the team around him was absolutely loaded. Was he talented? Absolutely. But it wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm watching a future first-round draft pick. It did, didn't feel like that at all. Then he comes out this year in the fall, plays the one game, which, as you said, was they basically scheduled that for him mm-hmm. uh, to showcase himself. And he didn't play that well. You know, it was arguably the worst game he's played in a Bison uniform. Um, that, that, that doesn't really, in the long run, mean anything. Anyone can play one shitty game, especially in college and the weird scenario that it was played in. But, I, you know, I just would be really nervous about investing a first-round draft pick and first-round draft pick money in a guy who has played, what, 17 games above the high school level, and those 17 games were played not at the highest level of college football, you know, in, in the sub-Division one level. Like, boy, I'm, I'm not at all saying because, you know, we've seen Steve McNair, Tony Romo, Joe Flacco, Carson Wentz. There have been a lot of FCS quarterbacks who have had a great career. Uh, but the guy just hasn't played a lot of football. He's definitely a question mark in my mind. Sure. And I heard another idiotic sports talk radio segment about him uh, when I was driving yesterday afternoon. So on Saturday, about one o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, who are these morons? It was actually LeVar Arrington, Plaxico Burris, and one other fairly famous former NFL player who have a show on Fox Sports Radio. It was on uh, it was on Fox Sports 98.1. And they were discussing, you know, where are the Patriots going to go with their top 10 pick? Are they going to pick a quarterback? Is Belichick the kind of guy that would take a Mac Jones or a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields? And the same thing for the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan. And there's been a lot of buzz in the last couple of weeks about Mac Jones from Alabama, who's more of a standard, big, strong pocket quarterback guy. That's actually what... That's actually what Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers like. That's why they took Garoppolo. That's why supposedly he's always had his eye on Kirk Cousins, whatever. But they they were, for some reason, these guys were doing Trey Lance versus Mac Jones and who you'd rather take because very small sample size for each of them. But their main point was, well, Trey Lance put up these fabulous numbers and has this incredible arm strength and you know running ability, leadership, and tangibles at North Dakota State. Except for they kept saying South Dakota State. They kept saying <laughs> South Dakota State, and then one of them corrected. Or one of them said South Dakota, and the other was like, "No, no, no, South Dakota State." And they're like, "Yeah, whatever, exactly, ha ha ha." And, uh, and they never. They finally at the after like five minutes of blabbing on, they clearly haven't watched him play because if they have, if they had watched him play, they would have any idea where he played. Anyway, they've somebody finally corrected it and said, "No, he, he's been." Playing at North Dakota State, and again, one of the other guys, either uh, Arrington or Plaxico, said, "Yeah, exactly. Who cares? One of those." And it's going, well, North Dakota State's a different level, but they, but they were saying, "I'd rather take Mac Jones over Trey Lance because Mac Jones has been doing this at Alabama." And I remember you and I having this conversation the other day, and Justin Fields falls into this category as well. And I'm th- set their skill sets aside, where they have played. What is the common denominator here? I understand, yes, Alabama's the SEC. That is the NFL's best farm system. You have a lot of bullets flying at you. That's the best training ground for the NFL. But when you're at NDSU or Alabama or Ohio State, you you have some of the best blocking in the country. Your defense is one of the best defenses in the country. And your receivers are very highly recruited, and they're going to get open, and they're going and it's going they're going to be easy targets for you to hit. You're going to look good, and you're going to play well. And so it, so I think it's hard to evaluate all three of them just because no matter what what league they're playing in, their their teammates their teams are so much better than the competition. It's just it's stealing candy from a baby. You know, and how are good are you going to be when you get drafted by one of the bottom 10 teams from last year 
And, and in relative terms, you don't have as good of, as a, of an offensive line, and you're going to be under duress a lot more. I think it's tough to evaluate any of those three. Yeah, and you know, another thing that throws a wrench into it is we don't really know how good Carson Wentz is, you know? I mean, he's been terrible recently, yeah. but he was damn near the MVP his first year as a starter. Um, he He's sort of a, a wild card, or however you want to put it, like, you know, some people could point to Carson Wentz and say, see, he's proof that a guy out of the FCS, out of North Dakota State, can have success because he had that great season where the Eagles, he didn't take them to the Super Bowl, but he put them in position to do that with an MVP caliber season. But someone could just as easily point at Carson Wentz and go, see, you shouldn't draft a quarterback out of North Dakota State, the FCS, because look how shitty that guy is now. Um, I, and I, I don't know, like some people – I can't say that one is more valid than the other. So again, that's just another reason that, again, I'm in no way saying I you shouldn't draft Trey Lance. He's going to be a bust or any of that. I don't know. I'm just saying, I don't know. Yeah. And the fact that he has such a small sample size to, to judge him on would make me as a, as a front office guy in charge of making a draft pick, I'd be really afraid uh, to pull that trigger. And as a fan of a team, I'd be like, Oh boy, like I hope this guy's awesome, but who knows? And then how do you how do you really factor in how what kind of a history your school has with quarterbacks in the NFL because you you mentioned the Carson Wentz example at NDSU but then both Alabama and Ohio State going back to those other two guys Jones and Fields it's like is it really fair to those guys how fair is it to those guys that you don't see uh Pro Bowl Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks the last 20 years in the NFL coming out of Alabama and Ohio State. I th- I think that I think it certainly speaks to the point of again, you're on such dominant teams and then the bullets fly at you in the NFL. It's a yeah, different I, know. I mean you don't see it until you see it, you know. Yeah, right. And then like and like Mac Jones is a good example. Like I remember at the end of this season and I'm by no means trying to make myself sound smart or anything, but like I was watching him and going like, "God, he seems really good." Like, is he being projected as a first-round pick? Like, I, I like this dude. And then I kind of looked it up, and, like, he was like, no, no one likes him. He's going to be a third- or fourth-round guy. Well, then all the, you know, whatever they were able to have because of COVID, combines, at workout stuff, he starts impressing the hell of it out of everyone. And he goes from, at one time, being considered this guy that a lot of teams didn't like him or didn't think, you know, now he's, now he's a first-rounder. Now he's, you know, a, a slam dunk. I think that shows more than anything just the fickle nature of this thing. You know, I mean, how many quarterbacks have we seen? Remember Tank for Teddy? <laughs> he ended up being the 30th pick in the draft, you know? Like the, that whole season, they were talking about NFL teams trying to get the first-round pick so they could draft Teddy Bridgewater, and he ended up being the last pick in the first round. You didn't have to tank for him. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence, everyone assumes, is going to be the number one Obviously, he's going to be the number one pick, and maybe he'll be great, but what? Peyton Manning and I think a couple other guys have actually gone on to be successful as the number one pick. Andrew Luck before he got hurt. Yeah, I think, was he number I think one? John Elway. I think Andrew Luck was number one. Okay, I'll, and and I'll there's you know, but you know, Aaron Rodgers was you know considered right. the number one talent maybe, but he slipped down to seventeen. Yeah, or the Niners and... were so, the Niners passed him up at number one. Took Alex Smith instead, and he tumbled mm-hmm. all the way to like twenty five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think a lot of these things you hear about, like you know, no quarterback has ever made. You know, you can find a reason to talk yourself in and out of anything. I mean, yeah. you know, I remember uh, if Matt Leiner had come out after his junior year, probably would have been the number one overall pick. Then he had a average senior year. I think he ended up being like the tenth pick, and he had a very disappointing NFL career. I mean, it's I I don't think all these things about well, no guy out of this school or out of this conference or no guy picked at this pick before, I don't think that really means anything because the next guy can always be the first guy, you know, to, to buck whatever trend people think holds some sort of meaning. I'm looking, by the way, I'm looking at uh, John Elway was a number one pick as well, but yeah, m- more of them have been uh, you know, faded to dust uh, more than they have been prolific Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Uh, by the way, Mel Kuyper has uh, Trey Lance at number nine with the Broncos, who just took Drew Locke, what, two years ago? And uh, Fox Sports has Rob Rangel, is the guy's name, has Trey Lance going to the Niners. The Niners were one of the teams at Trey Lance's pro day on Monday. 
the Falcons, Broncos, Patriots also there. So that's why there's talk about Trey Lance to uh, Bill Belichick and and and. Whether it's Trey Lance or Justin Fields in New England, I mean, you might be an understudy of Cam Newton, and I actually think that could work well for you. You could say what you want about Cam and the way he's played the last several years since being the MVP and going to the Super Bowl. He's He knows how to be a pro. He knows how to conduct his everyday uh, business and has uh, seen a lot of things in the NFL. Uh, that'd be an interesting experience for young Trey Lance. I'll ask, I'll, I'll ask this. I'll end the Trey Lance talk on this. What if it was the Vikings? The Vikings are somewhere in those top first 15 picks. And some Vikings fans, as you remember back in the fall in the last couple of weeks as the draft season has warmed up, would love to see it, to be, uh, you know, to work under Kirk Cousins for a year and then uh, be the guy in Minnesota. And finally, the Vikings have a quarterback that, that, again, from what we've seen, granted at North Dakota State where his team's pretty dominant, a guy who could actually uh, move around and escape pressure. Would you, well, if the Vikings, if he somehow stumbled to the Vikings, how would you feel if they took him? Cautiously excited, yeah. you know. I mean, I'd definitely be excited, but I'd also be like, "Oh boy, this could end up being a huge bust because we just don't know how this guy. We we just don't know enough. We haven't seen him play enough football." Anything you prefer the Vikings to do? The usual <laughs> offensive line. <laughs> yeah, I know. Defensive line, secondary. So know. boring. They're such a boring draft team most of the time. Uh, but I think Rick Spielman overall has done pretty well. He's, I think he's hit more than he's missed, at least in rel- relation to a lot of other GMs. Yeah, there, there, there'd be a, maybe if I were still in the sport daily sports talk radio game, I'd, I'd want to even take the time right now playing off your point and and really dove into that. Who are his hits and who are his misses and, uh, but overall I'd agree with you and I I don't care nearly as much. It just kind of seems like the Vikings are gonna do something meh and move on. And by the way. If it's anything like last year, Trader Rick will uh, try to be the GM that takes the most picks, and everybody's wow, he was wheeling mm-hmm. and dealing like last year, and then none of those guys end up mattering whatsoever. Well, he drafted the rookie of the year last year, so I'd oh, say. Oh, yeah, that won. guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And by the way, that's sometimes to, to analyze drafts, which I'm not nearly smart enough nor care nearly enough about all these college football players and all these teams. And I'm not a mock draft guy. I, it, again, if I have to play one on the radio in the past, fill up with da- daily content, I will gladly try to have fun and, and amuse myself and listeners with it. Uh, but if, if, if you ask me to evaluate a team's draft, well, for, of course the c- common answer would be wait three or four years to see how right. those guys panned out and how those teams panned out. But also you kind of go top heavy, right? I mean, you really, you put well, a lot more weight on the first like, two or three picks. Yeah, but if you swing and miss at your first round pick and he's a bust, but your third round pick turns into a Hall of Famer, you still won that draft. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a best available player guy or got to go with the position of need guy? I'm mostly a best available player, but it depends on, I mean, if your team's, you know, uh, if you're a, coming off a losing season or you're trying to rebuild, then definitely if, if you feel like you're a player away from a being a Super Bowl contender, then I think maybe you have to be a little more cognizant of what your needs are. Mm. But the Vikings needs are always the same. You know, I mean, it's, you know, Mike Zimmer's done a pretty good job of drafting and, or I should say developing defensive backs that he's talked to Rick Spielman into drafting. Uh, they've done pretty good, you know, with uh, defensive linemen, with linebackers, with running backs, with receivers, Offensive line is always there, you know, either they don't address it or they do address it and aren't as successful at addressing it. So that's just always going to sort of be a thing for them. Up until about two or three years ago when they took Garrett Bradbury, I think it was uh, Pat Elfline the year before was, I believe, a second rounder. Mm -hmm. Uh, So up until Elfline and then Bradbury and whoever they took last year, uh, after Jefferson, I mean, he uh, of... And none of those guys have flat out sucked. No. Uh, but none of those guys have been sort of the cornerstone player that you're hoping they would yeah. become either. Elfline was like, ooh, impressed you in training camp, and then he was really bad, and then he got better. He's been I, hurt, too. I, I, and, yeah. yeah. The jury might be out on those guys. I, my point was, before those guys, it was Spielman and the Cleveland Browns who had spent the eight previous years ignoring the offensive line in the draft. And so, again, when you can say, yeah, Spielman's had a lot of great picks, go back to Everson Griffin and Anthony Barr, and which probably were more Zimmer picks Harrison than Spielman Smith. picks. Harris, yes. Xavier Rhodes there for the first three year, three or four years, of course. Oh, who's that running back? Dalvin Cook. Uh, great. But, um, hmm, 
that ignoring that offensive line for all those years came to roost with all those great players, skilled players on offense, uh, everywhere on defense, and yet the Vikings could still only manage to win two playoff games in seven years under Mike Zimmer and never go back to the playoffs after going there. I mean, ignoring the offensive line <clears throat> turned out to, I mean, every, every, it seemed, it, you know, it just, it's, it seemed like a, a broken record a lot with the Vikings when they struggle, no matter who's back at quarterback because of that. So, I mean, that, and that goes back on Rick Spielman. Last thing uh, before we're out of here, Cade Johnson, South Dakota State, you had a chance to chat with him and get a feel for what's going to happen. Uh, what did you, what did you get out of that? Um, you know, not a lot. Just, we, we talked a lot about just how weird it was for him getting ready for this draft in such a weird situation, you know, having to essentially give up his senior year, but not in the traditional way. Like his, you know, team is playing and he he doesn't know what's going to happen. And he enters the draft and the season gets postponed and, you know, you can't have the true sense of a combine and all that other stuff. He went to the senior bowl, really showed out at the senior bowl and, uh, you know, probably the coolest thing that I took from talking to him was just, um, you know, he's a 5'10", 170-pound dude from an FCS school who goes to the Senior Bowl with all these guys from Big Ten SEC schools. And he did not go down there wide-eyed or like, oh, geez. He went down there like, I'm going to show you fuckers how good I am. Like, he was very confident in how he went in there, kind of went in there with some swagger, and then he backed it up. And he talked a lot about and and not in an arrogant sort of way. Like he was just like, Hey, you know, I know if I'm going to do the things I want to do, that's how I got to approach it. So I went down there, you know, kind of constantly telling myself, you can play against these guys. And then he went out and proved it. And that's just a cool story. And, uh, you know, since the Jacks have been division one and established themselves as a really good division one program, almost every year they have someone kind of in the mix to be drafted. Um, but it always seems like they end up not getting taken where, where, you know, like Dallas Goddard's going to be a first-round pick. He went in the second. Jake Winicky's going to get drafted. He didn't. Zach Zenner's going to get drafted. He didn't. Uh, Taron Christian's going to get drafted. He didn't. Jordan Brown's going to be a fourth-round pick. He got taken in the seventh round. Christian Roseboom might get drafted. He didn't. It seems like there's always a chance that these guys are going to go here and then they end up going there. And I think that probably is largely because people still don't trust the FCS level, especially since the Jacks aren't the Bison, where they're like, okay, maybe we'll draft a guy from North Dakota State, but not somewhere else. Uh, I think the success that Dallas Goddard has had maybe helps. Mm. But the, the, the point I'm getting at is that I have no idea if Kate's going to get taken. I've seen him projected as early as the third round. Uh, that would surprise me. But, you know, then again, a couple of years ago, Trey Pipkins from USF went in the third round. Yeah. The team likes you, they like you. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've seen some other projections, fourth, fifth, sixth round, and a lot, you know, Jake Winicky, Zach Zenner, those guys were projected fifth, sixth, seventh round, and they ended up not getting drafted at all. Because once you get towards the end of the draft, a lot of teams are like, eh, this guy didn't even play at, you know, he's South Dakota State, we can just get him as a rookie free agent. And if someone else drafts him in the seventh round, big deal, who cares? I think that's what ends up happening to a lot of these guys. I do think Cade is going to get drafted. I don't think it's going to be in the third round, but who knows? We'll see. Uh, he's very clearly sort of locked into that slot receiver role, uh, but he's a special teams guy. He can return kicks. His character factor is off the charts. Mm. And, you know, sort. usually I kind of roll my eyes at that kind of stuff. But if yeah. you've ever met Cade, you know. I mean, like his dad played for the Huskers. You well know. He's got Dad's a great of, dude, yes. Yeah, he's got sort of the bloodlines and the, the understanding of sort of what he's getting into. He was a terrific teammate leader at SDSU I can't I imagine that you know he absolutely nailed every interview he did with these teams yeah. uh, so I think he's gonna go you know fifth sixth round somewhere in there it would be awesome if yeah some team loved him so much that they took him early uh, but either way um, he's definitely I think gonna play some he, you're gonna see him in an NFL uniform next fall yeah his daddy Cluster Johnson when a couple weeks ago we were talking about going down those YouTube rabbit holes you with the Vikings me with the Huskers mm-hmm. from our childhood Oh, yeah, Cluster Johnson on those national title Nebraska teams, the wingback, uh, playmaker. Nice guy. Did Every Monday, talk to him after Husker games on on, the, on my radio show in Lincoln. He does not like me now because of the things, the trash he talked about in Nebraska when his when Cade's younger brother picked Iowa uh, back in May. And uh, Cluster and I had a back-and-forth text pitch session and uh, – 
whatever. Life is Cade's a great kid. He's projected fourth round. You mentioned as high as third. I'm just looking at NFL.com Lance Zerline. Uh, and what he wrote about him, projected fourth round, average size, highly productive, above average toughness to work in the middle of the field and win combat catches. Acceleration off the snap is instant and smooth, good at weaving around route redirection to maintain timing and momentum. Route's a little rounded, and he doesn't have much of a catch radius. However, he does have the ability to add yards after the catch and offers kick return value. College teams missed with this former FCS walk-on, but NFL teams should pay attention. He has starting slot upside. All right. And the NFL comparison, uh, NFL.com makes him Dennis Northcutt which was a guy who was a, like 5'11", played out of Arizona, had a 10-year career, rather, um, you know, rather benign career, but there you go. But a career nonetheless. I think that's what you'll see from Kate. I don't think he's going to be a pro bowler or anything, but he could have a several-year NFL career. And those things about combat catches and route redirection and catch radius, whoo, okay, maybe I am ready for the NFL draft. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, well, well, it will have happened the next time we talk. So uh, we'll see what happens to Cade, see what happens with the Jacks. And uh, catch you next week, Zim. Have a good week. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. And you have been listening to Nobody's Listening Anyway. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> you guys need a round of drinks? Yes. Yeah.